0: Welcome to the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast, I'm Tom Keane. Daily, we bring you insight from the best in economics, finance, investment, and international relations. Find Bloomberg Surveillance on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Bloomberg.com, and of course, on the Bloomberg. There is Miami Beach, there is Miami, and there's Miami-Dade County. And you have a mayor with experience with the labor of the city, of the county, in the fire department, and you have the experience of Little Havana. Carlos Jimenez joins us uh, right now, the mayor of Miami-Dade County. Uh, Mr. Mayor, wonderful to have you with us. I need an immediate update from your Little Havana down to the south across all of your county. Give us a virus update on this Tuesday.
1: Well, we have a positivity rate, uh, depending on who you look at, around 22%. Uh, We have uh, about 2,500, 2,200 people in the In the hospital right now, about 500 people are in ICUs and about 300 people are on ventilators. That's, you know, the highs that we've had here. But the good news, the good news, if you can say very good news here, is that it looks like the rate of increase has decreased. And so hopefully we're reaching the uh, plateau. So that's that's what's going on in Miami-Dade County right now.
0: Mr. Mayor, in our discussions on Bloomberg surveillance this morning, it is a Washington going from lunch to another meeting to another meeting. With a presumed idea of getting to August, how urgent is for you it for you to see a stimulus package now from Washington?
1: Well, I think well, I I know that we need a stimulus package because I know that there's a bunch of uh, of restaurants or, or a bunch of businesses that may not come back. Uh, right now, what we have closed are uh, bowling alleys and casinos and places of assembly. They're closed. We have a turn of ten o'clock curfew. Are the interior spaces of Restaurants are closed or dining rooms. Uh, Bars have never opened since the beginning of the pandemic. So those kinds of businesses really need uh, a lot of help. Uh, So, uh, yeah, an economic package to help those who are unemployed uh, get through this and business owners to come back. Uh, and open their business once they're allowed to open is, uh, I think, very important.
2: Mayor Jimenez, uh, your position is a nonpartisan one, but you've self-identified as a Republican. And as a Republican, how do you feel about the response to the virus, both nationally by President Trump as well as more locally with Governor Ron DeSantis?
1: I have no problem with that. We get we get the resources that we need here uh, in uh, Miami-Dade. The governor has been excellent with us. Actually, uh, we've uh, asked for additional medical personnel to Help staff uh, and supplant some of our medical personnel that have actually gotten sick of the virus uh, to keep it open to expand our capacity. We've been able to do that. Uh, he's allowed us to have a, a certain level of autonomy down here because uh, things are a little bit different in Southeast Florida than they are in the rest of the state. So I have no problem with what uh, the governor uh, is uh, has done. And so, look, it's just um, this was uh, it. It got out of hand. We had it under control, and then. Sometime in June, young people started doing what young people do, I guess, and they went out and started a party and gotten together and uh, and people and families got together. It's a little bit different down here. Families are here. Uh, the The core family is here, and so we get together a lot more often. And then it started this uh, the spread. Uh, we can, uh, I think, we can get this under control. And like I said, I think it's plateauing. Yeah. And uh, you know, and it's up to really, it's up to the individual person, us. You know, this 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 pandemic's about us. Okay. Cool. And the actions that we take, yes. as uh, you know, as Americans and as citizens, Mr. And Mayor.
2: Without a <laughs> doubt, it takes personal responsibility. Without a doubt, mm-hmm. it has to do with social distancing and mask wearing. But that said, the virus has no borders. How important is there for to be some sort of nationally coordinated effort to prevent the virus from simply migrating from one state to another as families want to get together?
1: Well, the, the problem is, is you know, it's it's that's easier said than done. Number one, all right. And, uh, and two, we, uh, you know, we even closed our, our hotels, even though our hotels are open now. We, we're not getting too many people from outside. Mm-hmm. Our, our airport is down about one-tenth of its uh, normal activity. And so it's not this uh, cross-contamination of people coming into Miami-Dade. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, uh, it was here. And then once the social activity started, it's a highly contagious, uh, you know, disease. And so mm-hmm. all of the south, you know, the, the, the southern portion of the United States is getting right. an uptick probably because we're we're reverse. I mean, in the north, you're uh, you're indoors in the winter and you're outdoors in the summer. In the south, because it's hot, you're outdoors in the winter and you're indoors in the summer. And so, I think that that's a right. that has something to do with it too. So,
0: Mr. Mayor, know. the childhood of your little Havana. I'm going to guess nobody there cared about the payroll tax uh, program the president is talking about now. Can you support your president? wanting a payroll tax policy in this next stimulus?
1: I'm sorry. I, I, look, I, I don't. I haven't heard that, so I can't really give you a good opinion on one way or the mm-hmm. other what the, the plans are. I know that the people here in Miami-Dade, they need uh, help, especially those that are unemployed. Our restaurant industry, bar industry, right. nightclub industry, they're all been hard hit because they're closed. So those folks that are now unemployed need some money in their pocket. And right. those business owners need some kind mm-hmm. of a help to get them back when we were able to open to get them back and, and get employ those people and then get back to a normal right. and the faster we get back to that normal you know the better it'll be and yeah you need you need some kind well, of federal help mr
0: mm-hmm. mayor thank you for your straight talk lisa john and i look forward to bringing bloomberg surveillance to miami-dade county we're thinking the second week of march carlos Jimenez with the miami-dade county of course uh their mayor Right now on the virus, I want to do something different. We, lo- we talked to a lot of fancy people at Johns Hopkins, Dr. Hotez down at Baylor, and, of course, we talked to Deborah Fuller of microbiology at the acclaimed University of Washington School of Medicine. I can't say enough about her accolades. Dr. Fuller, I want to talk about the guys in the trenches, the people working for you, and I want to focus on Jesse Erasmus, who's one of these people where we're all going, yeah, 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 and someone like Jesse Erasmus is the doing of finding a vaccine, in your case, with primates. What does Mr. Erasmus do every day?
3: Yeah, uh, uh, Dr. Erasmus is a postdoctoral scholar in my laboratory. He's he's really a superstar. He actually just joined my laboratory in January, and that's, uh, you know, when the sequence for SARS-CoV-2 the virus that causes COVID-19 was published. And he messaged me, I think it was in the middle of the night, Sometimes, hey, you know, can we make this vaccine? You know, because our laboratory works on um, uh, RNA and DNA vaccines, and, which only really require the sequence of the virus to make. And I'm like, well, sure. So, I mean, within a week, he had a, you know, a series of vaccines designed and was already immunizing animals <laughs> with them within Okay. Uh, three weeks. So yeah. So he, he's a superstar. Okay. So that well, he's in there in the lab every day. Yeah, he <laughs> is a
0: superstar, like on the Tottenham Hotspurs in England. I get that. But Deborah Thanks. Fuller or Jesse Erasmus, what would you say to the president today as he starts his virus press conference? You guys are the doing of it. What do you say to any given politician?
3: Yeah, I don't really get so much into into politics, I guess, but uh, in that regard. But certainly, I think that you know we really need to continue to uh, to address this pandemic and to, to support obviously the research uh, behind it, not just for for vaccines, which obviously is going to be critical for for shutting down the pandemic, but uh, you know also to follow the science in terms of. How the virus is transmitted and what we can do to uh, to reduce that transmission and to control it. Until you know we have a vaccine, Um, we're going to all have to work together as a public, uh, you know, to wear masks, to uh, you know, follow the guidelines of the health uh, care professionals and scientists as to how best to control this. uh,
2: Dr. Fuller, when will we get a vaccine that can actually be widely enough distributed to put an end to the pandemic?
3: Yeah, you know, the last few weeks in terms of vaccine uh, research has been really, uh, you know, one, uh, really groundbreaking. There were uh, four uh, manuscripts published in the last uh, uh, four weeks on clinical trial uh, results from uh, you know, from Pfizer, from Moderna, from uh, BioNTech, um, a number of different companies, uh, including the uh, Oxford. Uh, university with, in collaboration with AstraZeneca and another group out in China. And all of the data are indicating positive results in those first initial uh, clinical trials, phase one and phase two that they're getting, uh, you know, uh, seroconversion antibody responses in these uh, subjects, as well as T-cell responses. And uh, all of the data has supported them continuing forward into the next phase of their clinical trials. And this is really critical because this is, you know, the steps that you have to take before you can bring a vaccine into the market. You have to confirm that they're safe. You have to confirm that they're effective in initial uh, clinical trials. And so all of these groups met their endpoints their benchmarks to be able to move on to the next step. And so the trajectory right now is like prediction is like early 2021, uh, late 2020, even, you know, some people are projecting even, uh, you know, late you know right before 2021 that maybe they'll have some of the initial vaccines uh 700 millions of doses uh going into into uh into the public so uh yeah. but you know it remains to be seen there's always potentially some other hiccups they still have some additional phases to pass before we can bring in uh you know out to out to the public
4: well doctor let's talk about what we need still need to learn as we investigate and research this particular virus do we have a firm handle on how the immune system responds to this virus, and why this particular one is unique?
3: Yeah, uh, we don't have a firm hand on that. One of the couple of things that we're learning are two important aspects with regard to vaccine development, and one is that in uh, you know convalescent patients, we're seeing a, a more rapid waning of antibody responses uh, than we had hoped for. You know, and that means that. Uh, possibly the, the, uh, just getting infected itself may not build up immunity. You might need to have, uh, you know, even if you were infected before, still have to get the vaccine. Um, from the perspective of the vaccine side, we don't know whether the vaccines are going to do better than that. We try to make vaccines do better than nature. Uh, but so, you know, in most, all of these clinical trials to date have not followed, uh, the immune response long enough to know whether or not the vaccine is going to be able to do better than that. Uh, a second piece that is really exciting, actually, I think, is that there's data emerging that another type of immune response, cellular immunity, T cells that can actually see and eliminate uh, infected cells from the body, are uh, they're finding that's correlating or associated with better recovery in, in people who have become infected uh, with COVID-19. If they had better T cell responses, they can have uh, less disease and recover more quickly, and that means. That's the kind of immune response that we're likely going to want to also have our vaccines induced, both T-cells as well as antibody, and both those types of immune responses may be able to work together to, to provide more uh, effective
4: protection. Doctor, those two final points are absolutely critical, and we look forward to carrying on the conversation with you. Thank you for joining us today. Deborah Fuller there, University of Washington School of Medicine Microbiology Professor.
0: Part of this is about academics. He is from one of our most esteemed families, three generations of public service and academics. His grandfather at the acclaimed Middlesex School outside Boston. Uh, His father, our ambassador to Sri Lanka, and now he serves the nation as a senator from Maryland. Chris Van Hollen, the Democrat, joins us uh, right now. Chris, this is going to be really interesting and to me it's almost cultural warfare and economics. Ms. Shelton has her own qualifications and many say they simply don't fit the job. Where is she deficient?
5: Well, I think she's primarily uh, deficient in two areas. Uh, one is her economic theory, uh, which is way outside the mainstream, uh, which is you know great for private conversation and writing columns. but we're talking about the Federal Reserve, uh, the machinery, of the U.S. economy, at least a big part of it. And so when she talks about, you know, going back to the, the you know, gold standard, uh, when she talks about getting things rid, rid of things like federal deposit insurance, uh, these are things that are pretty scary. The other piece to this is if you look at her statements over a period of time, at least over the last t- 10 to 15 years, the only pattern is a political one. Uh, She criticized Bernanke and and Yellen for the measures they took at the Federal Reserve. Uh, She was very opposed to lower interest rates. Uh, But now that President Trump uh, has been calling for lower interest rates, all of a sudden, uh, there she is, uh, you know, calling for the same. So at the Federal Reserve, we really want independence. And I think what we're getting here is somebody who's more political than anybody we've seen, at least in my experience. time uh, on the Federal Reserve.
4: So, Senator, is that the more important dimension here? It's not the caliber of the candidate. It's eroding the perception of central bank independence.
5: Well, that is a big part of it. And that's why you had Republican senators uh, also uh, opposing the nomination. Apparently, something's changed in the last couple months. I don't know if the White House brought political pressure to bear or what. But the reality is, if you go back and look at the statements of my Republican Senate colleagues, They expressed exactly the same concerns. Um, And so this is a a very worrisome development because we don't want someone at the Fed who is a political rubber stamp for for anybody, in this case, the president.
2: Senator, you could argue that there already has been a blurring of the line between the Federal Reserve, between monetary and fiscal policy in an attempt to combat the effects of the coronavirus. I know that there is a congressional commission questioning the use of federal funding to buy corporate bonds by the Federal Reserve. How concerned are you about that being a precedent going forward, given some of the plans that have been implemented this year?
5: Well, the, the issue with the, uh, the Fed's actions when it comes to corporate bond purchases um, really goes to the, the gray line between what is their authority and not their authority. I think the Fed has overall done a good job uh, during this period of time. I think there are legitimate questions to be asked regarding their purchase of junk bonds uh, and especially the question about whether or not they're purchasing bonds from companies that were already uh, in trouble and very over leveraged before. Uh, the coronavirus hit. Uh, what we need to be focused on is is really helping companies that have been hard hit because of the coronavirus, uh, not that took, not those that, you know, took took risks and were already in trouble before the coronavirus hit. So that's kind of at the intersection of, of fiscal and Fed policy. And it really goes to the question of what the Fed's mandate is. But again, I, I think if you listen to Powell when he comes before the Senate, he's very careful not to wade too deeply into fiscal policy um, and you know the fed continues obviously, to have jurisdiction to over uh, monetary policy
4: well senator let's talk about fiscal policy at the moment there's a two trillion dollar spread between what republicans are looking for and what house democrats have asked for and a bill that they've already passed i just wonder how that narrows in the coming weeks of course the negotiation begins and when you start a negotiation you start with your boundaries and your red lines what's yours senator
5: well, look, I'm I'm supporting the HEROES Act. This is the bill that passed the House weeks ago now. And, you know, now we're coming down to the um, last couple of weeks before things like the unemployment insurance uh, run out, the enhanced benefit. Uh, so, you know, my, my view is we've got to find a way to come together. I think the House bill is exactly the right starting point. We haven't even heard from uh, Senator McConnell and the White House in uh, other than a few press statements. So... Uh, hopefully today and tomorrow we'll be able to get a lot more definition as to what they want to do.
0: Um, I, I look, Senator, at this fiscal debate, and it's an overlay upon overlay. I want you to explain, as a reasonable guy from Maryland... How the nation absorbs a four and on its way to five trillion dollar deficit. Scoop Jackson, Hubert Humphrey would be appalled. Christ, LBJ would be appalled. How how do Democrats adapt and adjust to the deficit that is to come?
5: Well, in this case, uh, you know the the, the challenge we face is if doing nothing um, and allowing. The economy to sink totally, of course, also has a, a huge negative deficit impact, uh, right? So in this case, we're spending money to try and keep afloat, uh, and so uh, there's no doubt uh, that this is going to add uh, trillions to our, our our deficit. Right. I've been one of those. I've been one of those who have you know argued that we need to be uh, you know prudent here when it comes to deficits. I, I think we're going to have to look at a variety of things, as you know that. The two trillion dollar addition to the deficit from the the Trump tax cut uh, just put us further in the hole. That's that's not my number. That's the Congressional Budget Office number over 10 years. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, look, we're going to have to we're going to have to figure this out going forward. But uh, probably the worst thing for the deficit at this point would be for the economy to be even harder. hit.
0: You know, I look at the past here, uh, Senator. And I think of Pat Buchanan, Richard Nixon, and, of course, some Maryland, a gentleman by the name of Agnew. I'm assuming Mr. Agnew never had lunch with your father. But what he did is identify the silent majority. How does your candidate, your guy, win the silent majority this time around? The president assumes he owns it.
5: Look, I think Joe Biden has a reputation and a career for... Really listening to working men and women uh, and his policies, um, you know, come from that that center of his uh, of his character. And uh, I believe that at the end of the day, most Americans, um, they, they want that sense of opportunity. They want a sense that everybody in America can make it. Uh, and they also want a sense of decency. I mean, they want a president uh, who, you know, that they can. They don't have to hide the kids uh, every time uh, the president makes a statement. And I do believe that the silent majority um, also uh, believe believes that. And I-, I think when it comes right down to it, people are going to go into that voting booth uh, and they're going to look at the economic platforms of the candidates. And I think, you know, Bi- Biden will do very well there. But I also think they're going to use a, a measuring stick of common decency. Senator, what kind of character do we want in the White House?
2: Senator, when people go into yeah. that voting booth, are they going to be voting for higher taxes when it comes to uh, former Vice President Biden, given the fact that his latest proposals do include levying uh, higher fees, particularly on wealthier individuals?
5: Well, when it comes to very high income individuals, yes. I mean, we just were talking about issues of of the deficit as well as issues of uh, investment in opportunity like education, including early education. Uh, And yes, what what Vice President Biden has talked about is the folks at the very top uh, can contribute more. Uh, They got a tax cut uh, under Donald Trump. Uh, Really, that, that wasn't something that was needed for the economy. Uh, And now we need to make uh, important investments. And so, uh, yes, uh, the vice president has called for a reversal of the tax cuts for folks at the the very top. I think that that position is supported by the overwhelming majority of the American people.
4: Senator, one final question for you, and I know it's a subject you're passionate about is China and the Chinese Communist Party. How difficult is it going to be for the former Vice President Joe Biden to convince the electorate that he can influence the behavior of Beijing after being in government for eight years with President Obama and failing to do so?
5: Well, as, as you know, when it came to issues of standing up to, to China and human rights and those uh, important issues, standing up for the, the principles we believe in, Uh, In fact, the Obama-Biden administration was much stronger than the Trump administration. I mean, we've got a president right now, we know from John Bolton's book, uh, who essentially praised President Xi's approach to the Uyghurs. Um, We we know when he was a private citizen, uh, President Trump actually was, um, was envious of the ability of the government of China to crack down in Tiananmen Square. Uh, This is a president uh, who did not want to stand up to China when it came to Hong Kong human rights. Uh, the, the, The Trump administration opposed the bill that Senator Toomey and I had... Uh, Right to the very end. Uh, It was only because there was an overwhelming bipartisan veto-proof majority that the president signed that bill the other day. So uh, I would put the uh, Joe Biden record up against uh, Donald Trump when it comes to standing up to China any day of the week.
4: Senator, what I'd love to do is carry on this conversation on China with you in particular in the coming weeks. We'd love to get you back on. Senator Chris Van Hollen there of Maryland.
6: day after European Union leaders agreed on on this unprecedented stimulus package with 750 billion euros. Well, we are delighted to be joined now by Paolo Gentiloni. He's the EU Commissioner for Economic and Financial Affairs, and he's been uh, keeping us abreast of a lot of these situations throughout the last couple of weeks. And uh, Commissioner, you were always optimistic that a deal would be reached. Is it the right deal or is this deal enough?
7: It is the right deal, uh, and it showed that uh, yes, we have divisions, but Europe is stronger than our divisions. Uh, So something unprecedented will happen in the next um, two or three years. Uh, The European Commission will, will raise hundreds of billions of euros in the markets and distribute them in grants and loans to member states. And this is uh, really uh, something changing the perspective of our solidarity in the union.
6: Um, Commissioner, when will countries actually see disbursements from the fund? Uh,
7: Well, countries that will reach the higher uh, level of disbursement will be the more affected countries. And the timing Uh, will be uh, next year. Um, We need uh, time for final approval from national parliament and we need time to raise uh, in the markets uh, this amount of money and we need time to have plans from member states that should be coordinated and towards our strategic priorities. We can't spend this uh, huge amount of money uh, without having Uh, a more competitive and more sustainable European economy. Mm -hmm.
6: Uh, The recovery fund will be financed by 750 billion euros in jointly issued bonds. Is this the first step towards a safe euro asset? Uh,
7: Well, it is not the decision that was taken uh, today, honestly. Um, uh, Indeed, today, uh, several member states uh, Stressed the fact that this is really extraordinary and it is linked to the emergency that we are facing and I think we have to, to stay to this decision. Then in the future, I think that if this uh, solidarity will work and if we will have good result from this common issuing in the markets, I think this will be an experience to be used also. Uh, from the union in the future. But it is not the decision we are taking today.
6: Um, uh, Commissioner, I understand there's a lot of cause for celebration and, and europhiles are happy that the continent staying together and that it came to an agreement. But are you concerned that, that more than 50 billion euros will be paid out to fiscal hawks in budget rebates in order to get them to sign this agreement?
7: Uh, well... I, I, I could uh, I could not remember how many uh, compromises were necessary in these uh, four or five days to reach the agreement. So you are mentioning one of them and rightly so, uh, the one on the so-called rebates. Unfortunately, we had also cuts to the multiannual financial budget. Uh, but all in all, I think that six months ago the very idea of the European Commission managing a financial tool of 750 billion which is adding to another one that is called sure that is 100 billion euros and distributing this amount of money to member state would have been considered completely crazy so yes we had compromises to reach the deal, but the deal is really extraordinary.
6: Yeah, so, so the compromises were worth it? I know there were also compromises on, for example, the investment for climate change, the rule of law linkage to the EU budget. It was abandoned. Is, is there any chance that the parliament is actually not happy with this deal?
7: Uh well i think that uh, discussion with the parliament will be essential um, because the the, the parliament um, criticism is in several of these compromises fully justified uh, but also i think we need the support of the parliament to go forward as far as the investment are concerned Yes, we have uh, cuts in some investment programs, but at the same time a huge part of uh, this enormous amount of common money will be targeted for investment. So, all in all, investment will grow, and especially investment for the Green Deal and the digital transition.
6: So as we go through the numbers, I think that the fiscal transfer will be of about 0.7 or 0.5% of GDP, but but below 1% of GDP in terms of fiscal transfers. Do you think it will be enough overall to deal with the the kind of crisis that we're facing?
7: Well, until now, we had uh, 4% of uh, GDP uh, in uh, expenditures from member states. Um, and even 25% of uh, GDP in uh, guarantees and liquidity measures from member states. Uh, This is something completely different and new, because it is common money addressed to uh, countries and realities in deeper difficulty, and common money to support our strategic priorities so the commitment of member states and the european commitment are combining themselves to have i think a strong recovery so this uh, percentage of common initiative is adding up to a strong member state initiative but it is absolutely crucial to avoid differences among different parts of Europe, more or less affected by the pandemic.
6: Um, Commissioner, do do you think that this uh, fund will actually deactivate some of the Euroscepticism that we've seen in certain European countries?
7: Uh, I do think so, uh, because um, the message of this initiative is that um, in front of this pandemic crisis, you, you can't have uh, winners and losers, uh, and you should uh, react uh, as a community. Uh, and this is also a message of Europe protecting its citizens. And it is absolutely what is needed to um, uh, weaken the uh, Euroscepticism and the nationalistic uh, positions in member states.
6: Mr. Paolo Gentiloni, thank you so much, as always, for giving us a little bit of your time on Bloomberg TV. He's the EU commissioner for economic and financial affairs after this landmark deal that was reached by European Union leaders.
0: Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. Subscribe and listen to interviews on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, or whichever podcast platform you prefer. I'm on Twitter at Tom Keen.